This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com and Rugby Magazine. And we took a little bit of a delay because we wanted to cover something very, very important. So we're, we're delayed our show just a little bit. But we have everybody here. We are joined by Bruce McLean in New York City. How's it going, Bruce? I'm doing great, Alex. Yeah, we, we delayed the show because we wanted to give the Eagles a chance to see how it went against Tonga, where we pretty much were expecting a victory, and that didn't pan out. So we'll be discussing that. Yes, we will, and we'll also be discussing it with Pat Clifton in Kansas City. Yes, I am in Kansas City. I'm actually in an old Kansas City haunt, a rugby haunt. Since 1964, the first uh, team was was founded here in Kansas City. They have uh, ruggers have been coming to Mike's Tavern, and I've been chased here to get internet. I'm in the attic, sweating to death. Um, but if you hear ambient noise in the background, that's people watching the NBA playoffs. So something exciting must be happening this year. So are you going to be moving from prop to fly half after uh, sitting up in that attic? <laughs> it's quite possible. I've always yeah. felt like more of a fly half, anyways. Yeah, that's a most most props seem to be. Were you a wrestler in your day, Patty? You're trying to make weight. I was I was a wrestler, but I never had to make weight. I was always a heavyweight and well under, so couldn't <laughs> say the same now. <laughs> That's great. Well, we had a very active weekend, and and this uh, week in June, in the American rugby scene, we had uh, the collegiate rugby championships, which was the uh, USA Sevens uh, College Sevens event in. Philadelphia went very well, lots of crowds, some uh, big surprises on the field and some pretty good rugby, and the women played there too, so that was very exciting. We had the National Club Championships, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit later. We did get some champions out of that in Division One, Division Two, and Division Three with Glendale, New Orleans, and Metropolis. And then the, uh, the United States national team played two games in the Churchill Cup. They played on Saturday where they, uh, Eddie O'Sullivan fielded what most would probably think is a, a bit of a reserve side against the England Saxons. And remember, this is an England Saxons that is missing most of their, their players they'd normally have on there because they've expanded their, their World Cup pool and everything. And the USA lost to the England Saxons 87-8. And then hoping to redeem, as, as Bruce said, uh, we figured they would just bounce back. They made 13 changes. It was really the best available team put on the field on Wednesday against Tonga, and they lost 44-13. to 13. So it was a pretty disappointing uh, showing overall. I mean, very disappointing for a lot of people. And right after the game uh, against Tonga, I did get a chance to talk to Eddie O'Sullivan. And before we get into it, I wanted to run that interview and uh, talk a little bit about uh, what Eddie had to say. And I first talked to him about uh, uh, a, a decision they made in, uh, to to go for points late in the game when it, it seemed like going for the try was the best uh, option. So this is part of my interview with Eddie O'Sullivan. In the, in the second half, you're right down on their line, and there's a penalty, and – Clever looks like he's getting ready to tap and go, and they, they say, no, you can't do that. The kicking tee's on the field. So um, t- Todd looked a little miffed about that, and I don't know um, if somebody had already called for the tee or you sent the tee out saying, I want three points. Yeah, I, I want, I, we want to take the points there at that yeah. stage. Um, and, um, I mean, we want to get a score on the border in the second half at that stage. Okay. Um, you know, it's like all these things, you know, we – We'd, we'd had a, in the first half we did a concerted amount of pressure and we kept putting the ball in the corner and we turned it over eventually, you know. So I want to get points on the board. I think there was there was there was time and enough to put points on the board and, and okay. go after them. And the, the point I made as well, I would make to, I made to the team and I would make is that there were phases in the game where we held onto the ball and took them through phases and we 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 worked them really hard and and uh, made some good inroads, you know. And then okay. undid, undid it maybe with a, with a loose pass or, or a knock on. But I was I was happy to think the positive I saw is when we held on to the ball and took them through phases, we caused them problems. We need to be more accurate uh, mm-hmm. because there's no point in playing six or seven phases and then turning the ball over. But it was a, it was a case of us 
Um, I thought being careless at times with the ball and, and 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 giving it back to them when we had them on the rack a little bit, you know. So um, I'm disappointed, you know. I I thought yeah. tonight at one stage once we got really really living at half time, had we scored early in the second half it would have been interesting. But they got the crucial try, which I believe Todd was taken out for. There was nobody there when they ran that switch back, and Todd was on the ground and uh, very unhappy that he was tackled off the ball, you know. So. That was a big turning point for me. If you pick two moments in the game, it was Lavala losing the ball on the line before half time and they're trying to start the second half. That's a fourteen point swing. Yep. Yep. You know? Yep. And um you know that, that uh, what I would be pretty miffed about is is that the last few minutes we, we, we uh we just lost our focus and we gave them really fourteen very soft points. I was disappointed with that. That made the scoreline look um a lot uglier than it needed to be. And I, I'd be, I was unhappy about that, you know, if, I, if I'm being honest. A couple of the comments from, from Todd on, on the TV talked about how hard you guys have been working and maybe the guys were tired or something along those lines. Yep. It's kind of tough, though. Yeah, you don't have any time, so you got to... No, we, we've done... We've done. Uh, we've been training twice a day all last week up until... Um, until on, when we got into country, we trained twice on Tuesday, twice on Wednesday... Once on Thursday, then we played Saturday. We 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 travelled Sunday, um, uh, and uh, we did two sessions on Monday. And again, we trained hard again yesterday, and we played today. So, guys have been on their feet working. This, usually, Alex Mike said this, and maybe Churchill Cup people won't like to hear us, you know, because it is a tournament. But normally, we always try and give our best shot at Churchill Cup. Yeah. You know, we've always come to Churchill Cup and put our best shot, foot forward. And I've said before we got here and when we got here. This is uh, a mechanism for us to get ready for the World Cup, you know. And and if we just like don't use this time together uh, to to try different combinations, put out different teams in the field, test players under pressure, try new strategies, um, then we're not going to get information when we go into August. And and it, it, it this is what the torture cup is. And and in that process, we're we're going to make mistakes and we're going to come up short in places and. That's just the fact that life we've got, we've got to live with, you know. And we'll be, we, we won't go easy on ourselves. We'll be, we'll be, you know, teed off about it. And and we, and uh, but Todd is right. The guys have worked very hard here, and you know, it's been about getting on the field and, and working them. I and they did look a bit, a bit tired at the end, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable. And I think a lot of the time as well, we we didn't play, we played without the ball again tonight. So there's a lot of that tackling going on that takes a lot of it. But it is what it is, you know. I'm. I'm I mean, I'm not happy we lost. I'm, I'm disappointed we we gave away those soft scores in the end, but I, I feel we you know we're 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 work in progress here, and, and this church cup is a, is an important part of that. And now for the first time, we can roll up our sleeves for the next week and get busy at training and, and organising and, and getting through more work uh, without worrying about being tired for the for the final game. Okay, so that's what Eddie had to say about the game and um i'm curious as to what you guys think about it and, and what you think he, he was saying you know and talking about that they were really in it and had lavala scored that try at the end of the first half and then they they had stopped that try the first try of the second half which um and i looked at the tape i looked at the tape after he mentioned it because uh, it didn't come across the uh, on the live web feed but it did come across on tv uh, todd clever was definitely taken out he wasn't able to fill that channel to stop the center from going in for Tonga and setting up the try. So uh, uh, so he's talking about that momentum shift and also talking about how it was probably closer than it looked simply because they gave up two soft tries at the end. Uh, well, well, first off, I don't think it was that close. Even if you give those different opportunities, the, the Eagles were only within scoring chance very, you know, three, four times, under a handful of times. They were not on the attack most of the game. They didn't spend a great deal of time with ball on the other side of the field. Uh, they gave up penalties constantly, uh, and that was probably the biggest error in the game, including the scrum, but the, the, their penalty count was horrible. It was horrendous. And, uh, no, even if you give those scores, to me, the game's not that close. Okay, The, the fact of the matter is Lavala didn't score. Somebody made a play on Tonga's team to keep him from scoring, so you can't count that. If he wants to count Todd Clever, fine. But then it's a 37 to 13 game. It's not a it's not a 18 13 game. So no, it wasn't that close. I don't buy that. 
And what I really don't buy is is his bit of them being tired. That really that really irks me because of some of the reasoning they've had for the why the guys are picking for different spots. And the fact of the matter is, you knew you had to play these games. Why, if you're doing two a days, why are you going hard? Most of these guys have had played a long spring season. Okay, talk about the X's and O uh, X's and O's. Walk through your game plan. These guys know how to ruck. They don't need constant drilling ruck work. A lot of these guys are coming right off sevens. They're coming right off of their club season. They don't need. They're in shape. So why are you pounding these guys into the ground when you know they got to play? Well, you know, the he he's talking about it not being the World Cup. He's talking about it being that he wants to use this to set something up for the World Cup. It's exactly what Bruce you were saying. You didn't want this to be. It's exactly you wanted it to be. Let's try to win this game. And now O'Sullivan is saying not that well we don't care about winning, but. He's saying we lost because we had some other things that we wanted to work on. And one of the things we, he and I talked about, and that's not in the tape there, is I, I just you know, said Tim Musaz was kicking it off a lot. And he said, yeah, because we, we wanted to work on having our scrum half get the ball out of our own end. That was something we want to get sort of in our arsenal. And said, well, you're still kicking it down the throats of some really good open field runners, and they're running back tries. So it just seemed like – I don't know if you want to keep doing that. So, um, you know, Bruce – you you said we got to play to win, and now it seems like, well, they're, they're not they're not planning. They're not putting in a, a a tactical plan to win the game. They're putting in a tactical plan to set themselves up for the World Cup. That's an excuse, and that is complete and utter nonsense. I don't believe a word of it. So, that's the way I feel about it. Uh, I don't, I don't want to hear that, that this, so, this, so, that, so that. He's just saying that now because they lost badly. It, he, that, that's yeah. an excuse. Yeah. And, and the, um, and, and they could be overtrained. I don't know. I don't know how they're training or what they're doing in training. Um, what I, what I will say is the one, I, I'm a firm believer, especially when you're comparing kind of apples to apples. And if you compare Tonga to the USA, it should be pretty much apples to apples. I can understand saying that the Saxons are a fitter team. And, and in fairness, we, we must say um, Simon Hardy did tell me, and, and he's the forwards coach of the Saxons who we did the, uh, the Rugged Matrix coach talk with. He said that this is the finest Saxons team he has had, bar none. However, he also said that Matt Stevens is the only guy on this team who will play in the World Cup. And right. everybody else, almost certainly, he said possibly a lock if there's an injury, almost certainly everybody else will not go down to New Zealand. So I do stand by the fact that I think we should put our team together and play them and, and, and do our best to do that. And I think that those things showed that we have – seemingly a complete lack of belief in ourselves and a complete lack of belief in our systems. And and the reason I talk about fitness with Tonga and the USA being apples to apples is that, you know, they're, they're relatively – most teams don't lose games when you're equally matched on fitness. The teams are fit. You generally break the will of the other team. At some point, that team stops believing in themselves, and it's it. Game's over. And they start to question themselves, or they start to question their, their, their teammates. You, you need to have trust in yourself and belief in yourself. Not only that, you need to have belief in, belief in your teammate so that you know that he's going to perform his job and you worry about yours. And then you have to have belief in your game plan that everything in your game plan is going to work because it plays to the strengths and weaknesses of your team. It, it accentuates your strengths and it hides your weaknesses. And all those things coming together is what makes a team last and, and battle through hard times for 80 minutes. When that breaks down and a team loses its will or they start to get disjointed or they start to doubt, that's it. That's when the other team pounces. I don't think it has a lot to do with fitness it has more to do with mental fortitude and mental fitness, and that comes from having a preparation plan and a process plan in place. The England Saxons and Tonga or whoever, if you get fit, you're going to spend 
an hour, hour and a half a day on it. That's what you're able to spend on it on 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 your training. Then you have your skills work, and you have your um, and you have your mental training, provided you're doing it. I don't know that everyone does, and that's that's really your fitness level. So it's not necessarily a fitness thing; it's yeah, a rugby thing. And I the, do believe. That, go ahead. Yeah, the the self belief thing. They they lost their self belief in the first three minutes. They 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 got okay. Tonga knocked a ball on right off the kickoff because they were jumping up to try to catch it. That's not a knock on like, oh, my God, I, I should have caught that. That's just – that happens on kickoffs. But they played advantage, and they passed it out to the, the, out to the backs, and that was Im- immediately the, – the game started on a here we go. It goes out to Paul Emmerich. He drops the ball. Ball's a little bit in front of him, but he drops the ball. I think in retrospect – that undercut them immediately. Their ball handling has been so terrible for the last several games that they just started to think, uh-oh, here it comes again. And then they give up a penalty. They give up, uh, up a few points. They miss a penalty. You're, when you say self-belief, uh, that, that, that really struck with me because I didn't see it. I didn't see much self-belief. I saw self-belief in about three or four players. As far as self-belief, I, I do believe in that, what you're saying, Bruce. It, it, how How is this team going to have any self-belief going forward? You know, the guys over the sevens have two of the worst tournaments USA's had in a while. Then they come out here and they have two of the worst losses USA's had in a while in 15s. Those guys got to be feeling about as down as possible. But when it comes to the fitness thing and it comes to the other things, maybe I should frame what I say in terms of what why I, I think it's BS that they're tired. When – and Nigel Melville tweeted about this after the game. We we talked about it briefly on, on Saturday morning out in Denver when we were watching the club championships. So I don't feel like I'm betraying any trust here because he actually tweeted it. But he tried to say – he tried to defend what happened against England, saying, yes, we were trying to see – because we play Russia three days after Ireland, we were trying to see how can we play both games. Do we have two separate teams, a team that can play against Ireland and a team that can go out against Russia? And he said, no, we found out we only have one team. Well, if you're making that test and you're making your test to see, well, let's play this week like it's the week of the World Cup, you're not doing two-a-days, okay? So what I think is happening is these guys are getting beat. They're getting beat badly. Eddie O'Sullivan knew he couldn't beat the Saxons, threw a team out there, just threw them to the wolves, okay? Then he turns around and he plays Tonga, and he plays a team. This team played to win. This team didn't play to mix up, mix and match different schemes or anything. This team was playing to win, especially after the beating they took in England, and they lost. There's a whole lot of excuses building on top of excuses that are, are just exactly that. And so I want to call that out, just like Bruce said. But in terms of self-belief, how are you going to have any now? Especially if you're Mike Palafow, Paul Emmerich, Todd Clever, guys who played in the seventh season. They should have been building some of that now, trying to win more now. They should have tried to win the Saxons game. You know, you don't think that that crawled into the minds of some of those guys on Saturday? We lost 87-8, and here we go, down by 20 to Tonga. Of course it did. Well, I think that um, sevens and fifteens are very, very different games, and 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 I and I am am, am leaning more towards seven specialization, and and as players get actually as players get older in the sevens, and, and they're unable to compete anymore, really, that then then they may move into the fifteens game more. But no, um, I, no, 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 I'm not. I'm just saying that when you're coming from a sevens environment, the game is different. That's all I'm saying. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Lost, I'm not gonna beat a dead horse about that. Now, what in in terms of in terms of this, what what Alex was saying about the knock-ons and things, those things happen when you are out of rhythm. The way to get into rhythm is to play together, and the way to get into rhythm is to train in such a way. Or you don't have to beat the snot out of each other, but you do have to play a bit in practice. And, and there are ways with rough touch and overload games and things like that that you can get yourself into a rhythm and find a rhythm to play. I, I think that the other thing is the U.S. plays a – it's a, a French-style pod system, basically two forwards on one side, two forwards on the other, four in the middle, backs work, and, and, and then you kind of strike off, off of that. But what happens when you do that is that – you're basically playing what you would call channel rugby. There's people in different channels. So you hit one channel, the defense is set, and they smash you. 
but the rest of the guys just rest and they wait for the next channel to get hit and then they whack that channel. Then it goes to another channel and those guys are standing there and they whack that. And then eventually you just get put under so much pressure. We don't have the horses to play that kind of a game. The French have a, a, a very dominant scrum. They have a very dominant line out. They have the ability. They, they play back and, and the, the, their back line is confident enough to stay steep and come hard. But they also have large centers, exceptionally, exceptionally interchangeable and, and outstanding kickers at the 9 and 10 position. They have outstanding kickers at the wing and fullback position. So that in, – in order to do that, when a team comes up, the wingers can kick. They can ship – they can make you look bad. You need to have a, an absolutely precise belief in, in, in a multiple set of skills. You have to be able to run. You have to be able to pass off both hands, and you have to be able to kick. And, and not everybody in our back line is able to do that. So well, and the entire back line is not able to to mesh in a such a way that they do that. Well, well what, I'm, what I'm saying is that's what I'm saying is that perhaps the system that we have is not a system that is actually applicable to the athletes and the skill level that we have. That's what I, that that's my point, and then that builds into having self doubt, and then having doubt in your teammates, having doubt in the system. And the whole entire thing breaks down because there's, instead of an excitement for what you're doing, there's a fear or a, a, you know, a, a, a tightness as to worrying about making mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I, let, 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 me, no, let, let, let me just jump in. Jump in. I, w- I want to say something about the two-a-days and then move back to the scrum because I know you said something about the scrum and I want to hear what you have to say about the scrum. But uh, on the two-a-days, I don't, I don't think it's quite about fitness. I, I do think it's – you know, when you run two a days all the way into a test match and then you turn around and you run two a days again into another test match, four days later, you are going to run your players down. I don't care how fit they are because it's a mental thing. It's a dehydration thing. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And it's either either they can handle it, in which case that's fine, I suppose. But for the most part, if you ask any coach, they're going to say that it's going to stress their players too much, which means it's a preparation thing. It's not about fitness. It's about how you're preparing your team. And every, every coach I talk to says that when you're in the middle of this competition, you're going to pull back a little bit in terms of stressing your players. You've got to use recovery, and they're not recovering right now. They will for Russia, we hope, and maybe they'll be a little fresher as a result. But back on the the scrum thing, I, 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 okay. I want to get in. I, I want to say one thing. I, I don't know how they're training two a day, so I don't. I don't want to say anything about it. So I don't know exactly what they're doing because there's ways to do it where they're not really doing a whole lot of anything. But it also can be a, a, a violent, really thing that can knock the hell out of you. Todd Clever did publicly go on that interview on on UniversalSports.com. And say that he, they felt they were tired. That's right. So, and and, and, and for the O'Sullivan captain of the team, and O'Sullivan but, for the, yeah. but for the captain of the team to publicly say that, that says to me at this point, I don't know if they've done this. That says to me at this point, they have to have an, a clear the air meeting. Yeah, something is going wrong. They have to have a come to Jesus meeting, and for the chosen tribe, come to Moses. Um, but they need to have that meeting and they need to clear the air because they can write the ship. But if they sit there and act like, you know, nothing's going wrong and, and, and you know, have comments like we were in this game, they were never in the game. I agree, I agree with Pat 100%. But anyway, yeah, let's move on. Well, tell me about the scrum because the scrum is a major problem again. Uh, yeah. And, and look – the, the biggest thing is is like most things in in sports or life or anything you need to create an importance and an excitement about it you know you you need to create a buzz about scrummaging and 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 it's a cultural thing and and forwards especially front rowers they need to scrummage and if they're not doing it in training I'm going to tell you, they're generally pissed off about the fact that they, that they showed up to training 
and they're getting lambasted for something in the press, in the team room, and everywhere they, they look, the USA Scrum, the USA Scrum. But if they're not training it every day, it kind of pisses you off that there's no importance given to it. Hey, you got 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Or, you know, I mean, um, you can speak to Bill LeClaire and, and he'll tell you that there was just no time for scrummaging. And, you know, it's the same thing with lineouts and, and jumpers and throwers and, and lifters. Like, if they're not doing scrums and lineouts, forwards are really, they don't even feel like they're practicing. They're a little bit different for back rowers, but back rowers have to understand that in order for them to be effective, you don't have a set piece, you're garbage. And the same with backs. And, and you know, when, when you look, say, let, let's look at the Saxons first off. I mean, there's three reasons that they, they were dominant. And, and first is, is that they had better guys. They, they were a better team. Um, the next thing is, is kind of the way they built their scrum compared to the U.S. And what I mean by that is that since the Saxons have experience, they're able to build the scrum in lines up and down. And, 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 and that is lines into the opposition, meaning that like the prop and locks and flankers all being spine in line and the eight and really getting the vectors pointing forward as opposed to dealing with the front row, then the second row and the back row. And so instead of worrying about the row, the row, the row or the, 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 front, the front row, the, the flankers and, and second rows and the eight – the, the Saxons are, are experienced enough and balanced enough to be able to, to handle themselves going forward and, and concentrating on, on their vectors moving forward. And, you know, by the U.S. building their scrum in rows because of inexperience, they had no cohesion. Now, add to that, we selected a loose head prop in Eric Fry with limited – to no experience at the position and put him into the game against Matt Stevens, the one Saxon who is going to factor into the World Cup. And Eric Fry's reserve, Sean Pittman, has limited to no experience at loosehead problem. That was absolutely insane. Now, tactics that the U.S. used in terms, you know, we, we had spoken to this about Eddie O'Sullivan in uh, – in a, in a previous podcast where I got into a very heated argument with him about the hit and chase and real and, 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 and the attitude and the mindset of a scrum as opposed to hit and hold. And the Saxons took advantage of the hit and hold because when you hit and hold and you're moved, it's difficult, if not impossible to regroup after you've absorbed pressure and started to get moved backwards. And that was that was the point of my disagreement. Now, going forward, I think that the U.S. has to work and spend a lot of time on scrummaging. And in doing so, they're going to have to work on their balance. They, and, and, and that means they need to be able to get the front row to tilt forwards so that they're able to get across the gap quickly. They're losing the hit to the center line. And, by, and in order to do that, you got to get the front row down and set where they're where they got a kind of a lean and once they're happy kind of call for the locks to come in and then they bind on in balance keeping their spine in line to the prop so instead basically the lock is 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 kept in line with the prop and for the hookers the key is to get their and i'm assuming that they're going to use a conventional striker or 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 a right-legged strike the key to that is really to get their right knee to get his right knee over his foot and get a good lean forward. The other thing is the flankers must scrum. That is absolutely essential to success. Then you have your number eight. He holds the locks back a little bit, very slightly, and he fires them in. It's not a slingshot like, you know, 1995 or not 1995, 1999, 2000. That, Slingshots disrupt balance. You hold them slightly, and everybody's in tension, and you come in. Now, normally, if you look at a front row, uh, the tendency is for the hooker to bind slightly higher on his loose head. And, and essentially, they do that so that 
when when the hooker really is what he's trying to do is get his left shoulder into the gap, the 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 gap between the two front rows to block the opposition tight head from smashing into him and getting a free shot. And and we've really been giving them that kind of a free shot and and it's putting us under enormous pressure but having two inexperienced loose heads was 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 really the cause of that. Then, and this is another real big problem, on the crouch, the team has to tense and they have to become compact because when you have a slightly elongated neck or spine, on the engagement, it can have an accordion effect. Like at the AC, what we do is, is Bartley calls for a squeeze heads and, and it's really just a tension call. And, and what that does is it gets the gets the, the props to tighten in on the heads of the second row and really get themselves tense. And the whole team tenses, and we do it when the, when the scrum halves arrive or, or on the crouch. Some teams will call set, or some teams will call grips, whatever it is. It's the same meaning. It's just different variations. Then on our ball, normally you would want your tight head to hit in first, and on the opposition ball you're going to hit in square. So – Especially when you have a conventional strike, the hooker has it easier when the tight head hits in and he's bound higher on the loose head. Because if, if you look at it, the tight head is on your right-hand side, loose head's on your left-hand side. If he's coming up, then your right shoulder is kind of facing the scrum half. You have an easier look at the ball. If the tight head's lower and the loose head's a little higher and you're a little higher on the loose head, your chest is slightly it, – it, it, these are all slight things – but your chest is open to your to your scrum half, and your and your right shoulder is, is is slightly forward, and it just makes for the whole striking the whole make for the whole put in and strike and delivery um, a little easier. At that point, you got to worry about the drills you use and the times you spend on it, and then then you got to really look at your tactics and how do you play two on one. You want to play two on one somewhere. At a lot of times, for instance, the hooker and a tight head attack the opposition hooker or the loose head comes in at a wide angle, not on a what comes in at, at a slightly wider angle, not wider than you normally would. And, and then the left hand lock will start wider. The flanker stays right in line and then the eight kind of adjusts on that. And 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 then you can come across and and if you get really advanced about it, it's. You, you get into your two-on-one, and it's basically about body angles and squeezing the opposition. Now, since the USA hookers tended to bind with – with they, they tended to bind pretty high, there tended to be a gap between the hooker and the loose head. Also, a lack of experience, there was a massive gap, and the Saxons hooker was able to come across the eagle hooker, and Matt Stevens, a tight head – was able to do essentially whatever he wanted and squeeze the USA hookers out. And that's what happened. And, and what they didn't do is they didn't pop them like they would, you know, what, what would have happened earlier or drive them up. They kept them down. And, 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 and it seemed like they were consciously working on keeping them down so that they can blast them forward. What that was, was a counter to Eddie's hit and hold philosophy. Then the Saxons also were able to shear them, which is like moving everybody in a direction, which is a unity thing. And and if you if you look at the penalty try and you go to two scrums before the penalty try, you see a really good example of what I mean by shearing. For me, it's really a matter of seriously emphasizing the scrum in practice. And 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 I think that this is one of the things this is one of the areas that where Eddie Eddie has to relook at his philosophy because as much as 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 he would say the scrum is a disaster when he arrived and they played Ireland and they played Wales and they played that first season he was here the scrum wasn't a disaster the scrum became a disaster and and it became a disaster either due to lack of emphasis or or changing the tactics, or changing of something, but the scrum wasn't a disaster and became one. So they have an opportunity to fix it. It doesn't take forever, and these are big, strong boys, and they're tough guys, and they know how to deal with this. It's not the end of the world to do it, but if there isn't enough emphasis on it, it is going to be an Achilles heel. 
And 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 if that's the case, they may as well not even show up at the World Cup. And but and 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 they can't get a false sense of security about Canada because Canada scrums a disaster too. So if they go in and they blow Canada off the ball, they can't say, "Oh, we're ready for the World Cup." Canada is a disaster. They're, they're, to a couple of I don't think they're going to blow Canada off the ball in the scrum. Oh, well, they had done, <laughs> and and they but they're capable of doing it. And and that, and that's my feeling. I mean. That's my feeling on the whole thing. It, it's a point of emphasis. You have to emphasize this, and these these poor players are getting getting lambasted for something that they don't get a chance to improve at. Yeah. And I don't care what anyone says. You know, they they don't get a chance to improve at it. Yeah. The, the it, it comes down. You know, I, w- I want to finish on the on the the Eagles a little bit because we have some other things to talk about. But I, it comes down to a, a few things for me. And one one of them we talk about. Um, how the Saxons were were better because really the Saxons have been spending a lot of time together. The Saxons, the England situ, the England setup is such that they spend an awful lot of time together. They're working together. They're working on the scrum. They're working on their set pieces. There are other aspects of the USA play that were okay, and there were certain things that were going well. But but even if their scrum was terrible, I think. Um, they could have survived that Tonga game had they been able to catch and pass, had they been able to execute when they had scoring opportunities. They had six. They had six real try scoring opportunities, and they got one try out of it. Um, there, there were a number of things that they could have done better. They could have kicked better. They could have uh, tackled you know, way, way better. Tackling, we didn't even get into the tackling. But it comes down to time together. And every single year we talk about, well, these pl- these players, these teams have time together, and we don't have time together because it's hard. Well, maybe, maybe we should be changing how we do things. And instead of focusing our energies on uh, uh, th- these competitions, and I- I'm all for international competition. I love international competition. But instead of focusing our energies where they have been, should we not be looking at a way to get the players together more often? to get forwards together more often so that we can get them to train in the scrum, that we can emphasize those set pieces. Why can't we think of a different way to do this rather than for yet again another another World Cup? We're talking about, well, they haven't been together. We're still trying to figure out who they are. The last time the USA was really you – know, the USA had a very good World Cup – for their standards in 2003. And the reason they had those is that they had, they played 13 test matches that year. And they, they had been poor the year before, but they spent an awful lot of time together. And it wasn't so much the test matches as it was the training together. There was a lot of money put in, but it was also a huge amount of time and effort put in by the players to do that. And I and I don't expect people to we, – we know people are are – are threatened by their jobs, you know, they could lose their jobs, things like that, and I and I understand that. So, so can't we instead? We, uh, everything you say makes sense to me, Bruce, and everything you say seems legitimate. But if a, a, and and you end it with they're not emphasizing it. Well, can't we come up with a plan of how we deal with the players, how we set it up, how we put it on a silver platter for these players? Not so much about money but about putting them in a position to be successful. Isn't that what a coach is supposed to do? And isn't that what USA Rugby is supposed to do instead of doing some of the other things that, they, that they're doing? Perhaps we could set it up so that they could assemble more often, they could train more often, they could work on being successful more often. I was actually going to write an article about this. Um, I really think that we have to reevaluate the way we do things at all levels and reevaluate what the real role of USA rugby is. Is it to be everything to everyone? And if that's the case, we'll get nowhere because you'll be nothing to anyone. Is it to deal with the elite game? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'll have, I'll have some thoughts on that, but Alex, you are correct in that we are going to have to change the way we think about things and change the way we do things in order to get different results. That being said, I, I am going to give a little bit of a pass to everybody here in in that the domestic game as currently constituted in America, based on the results of the under-20s, the results of the Eagles, anybody 
who thinks that the domestic game is at the level that it needs to be to prepare our players for international rugby is out of their mind. Now, also, that being said, it doesn't mean that America is not getting better. I don't know if we're getting better or if we're not. But if we are getting better, we're getting better at a slower rate than other people are getting better. And if we're not getting better, then that's a problem. And and that's always difficult to judge. You know, were the Chicago Bulls better than the L.A. Lakers? And who knows? Um, it's It's a matter of figuring out are we getting better at a slower rate or are we regressing badly or and and that's something that we got to look at because teams like these tongue we still have no scalps whereas other teams tonga included and 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 canada and 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 other teams in our ilk have scalps we've never beaten scotland We've never beaten Ireland. We've never beaten Wales, Italy. We just haven't done it. And you, and and when it happens one time, I think it can happen more than one time because I think that self belief kicks in. But you, 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 all you have to do is ask the players, and they they talk about consistency of training. So so you know you look at the the sevens team, and the sevens team quite possibly could could say to the players, and I realize it's easier with sevens to say, you got to come and live in San Diego. You got to come live next to the OTC, and we'll start training together. Forget about you know all of the other stuff and the money and stuff like that. Let's let's go, you know, let, let's find a place for you to stay, and we can train. And and it's just the time together that's going to matter. So I I really hope that the time together this summer is going to matter. There's there's still a consistency issue with the players and who's in and who's out, things like that. I really hope it does. And we do know that the Eagles have nine had nine days. Leading into the Russia game, which is a week from Saturday, uh, um, which is the uh, which is the 18th of June, and that's going to be a huge, huge uh, look. And I, I'm assuming it's going to be Russia. It may actually be Italy A, but we don't know yet. But they've got a big game there that they really need to at least show that the time together is is working. Now, uh, the domestic competition is kind of a – is a problem because it's not really a great base for an international player to just jump into international game. But we do have a domestic competition, and the domestic competition is still doing the best it can. And this past weekend, we had a, a national championship with three divisions, and you know maybe we should someday talk about whether we need national championship for the three divisions below the Super League. But we did get them, and uh, uh, in Division Three, Metropolis, which is a Division One club that also fields a Division Three team, uh, defeated Syracuse forty-six to twenty-five to win the D three final. And in Division Two, New Orleans defeated the defending champs Tampa Crew twenty-seven twenty-one. Pretty exciting final there. And then in Division One, and I, you know that this is kind of an interesting one is is Glendale. Glendale finally got their championship because they've really been trying for one, and they they just barely missed out. Uh, Two thousand eight, they they missed by one point, um, but they defeated Olympic Club twenty to fifteen uh, to win that final, and they did it without all of those players that we were talking about that that uh, were uh, denied their transfer and uh, but they did it in their home uh, in their home stadium which is pretty exciting and I, I guess the question one of the questions is Glendale wins a championship do they get into the Super League the Super League has by the way 11 teams they've only got five teams in the West Coast and w- wouldn't it make sense to add another team in the West and then you've got six and I suppose then you could look into whether you want to add uh, Olympic Club, and that would make an extra team in the West. And then, of course, there's also uh, Palmer and Boston uh, Irish Wolfhounds who made it to the semifinals. But certainly Glendale is just begging. They've got a great facility. They've got uh, great financial uh, backing. They have everything you want in a Super League team, and they're national champions. This is going to be a topic for – next week's show because it, it's because i think that we need to talk about these teams with pat and 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 going i 
that's going to be very, very political. And sadly, the Super League shouldn't be political. But uh, that one, th- those two teams will make it somewhat political. So we're, we'll talk about that in, in a future show. Yeah. And, and so, but I think that we, we should give the, uh, the accolades and the kudos from Pat now to give us a little description of what went on. Yeah, Pat, you were there. So what was it like? Uh, you know, I, I was there, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of TVs affixed in the Tri Club there in Infinity Club uh, or Infinity Park, back to uh, Philadelphia watching the CRC. But there was a lot of good action uh, there in, in Glendale, and and it was a lot of fun to watch. And I, you know, I was glad I was there to watch it. Um, Division three, I guess we start with uh, you know Metropolis, um, a lot of older guys on this team, uh, a lot of ex Division one guys. Uh, I talked to the the player coach Nathan Osborne played five half actually scored two tries and won the MVP. Uh, it was handed that by Nigel Melville in the Division three championship game, um, and he said he thinks that there are eight guys that are going to go out retiring on this. So they kind of came together at the last uh, decided this year they wanted to go for it and just kind of retire on this win, and they are going to do that. There's a mix of young guys there as well, um, but you know you talked a little bit about them being Division one team that feel a Division three team. I think it's a different scenario than last year with Ambach. Ambach had, you know, a Super League and Division One side, uh, and they finished neither one of those competitions, dropped out of them. So technically, if they wanted, True. you know, Zach Pangolinen could have been starting for the Division Three side if he wanted, according to the, the regulations. He didn't. Um, but there's a lot of allegations about them throwing some guys down there. But Metropolis had their Division One side in the playoffs. So anybody who played in that Division One game was not allowed to play in the Division Three game. But no, this was a, a bunch of old old guys, <laughs> if we're being honest. And Nathan, Nathan Osborne... <laughs> Nathan Osborne said, let's be honest, we've got a bunch of old guys out here. So I, I don't think I'm throwing too many insults there. And, and some young guys, and they, they put together a great a great game, and they beat Syracuse, which, you know, was a, your typical Division Three club. Had a great player in Johnny Morse. Made a couple of huge runs. Uh, that guy has definitely got Division One talent. Um, and, and Metropolis was just a better team on the day, more experienced. Division Two was a great game. Uh, Tampa Bay crew did not have a great semifinal against the uh, old Aztecs. Di Morgan, their head coach, said it's one of the toughest or one of the worst games they'd played all year. Uh, it was a close game that they went down to the wire that probably shouldn't have. Maybe wouldn't, you know, they played the game 10 more times, maybe wouldn't go down to the wire nine more times. Um, but they got, they escaped that. They get into New Orleans and they beat New Orleans by either 19 or 21. I, I kind of get a little dyslexic with the numbers here, but it was either 19 or 21 in the South Championships. And they turn around, and for 60 minutes of that game, New Orleans was a better team, and it wasn't really all that close. Uh, you know, they, they dominated the game uh, up front. They dominated out wide. They dominated every which way. And Tampa just looked a little bit lost because they're, they're usually not out-talented and not outplayed. They were both, it seemed, in that game. Uh, they come back with a couple late scores to really put it, you know, push push New Orleans. But in the end, New Orleans was able to hold out and win that game um, by a little bit more than a try. But it was a fantastic game to watch. A late comeback bid is always fun to watch, um, you know, especially when Tampa has the ball darn near at the end of the game, ready to it looks like, you know, really get into a good scoring position and then they lose. But it was it was great fun to watch. And you know, New Orleans looked good. New Orleans looked really good. They had a very big pack, uh, tall second row, which you don't always see in Division Two. Guys going six four, six six, and and were athletic as well. Huge front row that could get around the park just enough. A really good back line. They were really great, 1 through 15. Um, you know, that was a great competition. New Orleans deserved that championship. And then at Division One, uh, Glendale, an Olympic club, which, you know, I think all of us picked some amalgamation of that championship. I had Palmer going against Glendale. Alex, you had Oak Club and Glendale. I think Bruce, you had Oak Club and Glendale, though you had Oak Club winning. Um, but a great final on that one. And Glendale's a great team, and, and Olympic club was a great team, and there's a couple controversial stuff there. Alex, you saw a try that perhaps shouldn't have been awarded, and but it was a great game. Well, I, it was it, there was a try that I believe it was Andrew Armstrong slid down as they were touching it down, and he ripped it out of the the Glendale try scorer's hand and held onto it, um, and 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 it looked pretty clear to me that that it wasn't a try. Um, I was watching it on webcast, so I, it wasn't exactly high definition. Um, but, but you know th- th- that that's a call. Um, it's a tough call to make, actually, for for uh, a referee, and uh, is- especially if they don't have the TMO going, which I don't think they did. Um, 
But yes, I did. I did call the two finalists. I even called that Glendale would win it. So uh, I'll I'll remember that because that doesn't happen too often. I I too had the Raptors uh, winning as well. They're a good team and they're a great squad. Their depth is really good, even though they didn't have the seven Aspen guys. Their depth is really good. Um, they've got three guys that go six, seven, or higher in the second row, and all of them are really, you know, fantastic players. Casey Rock and you know everybody knows Alec Parker. He played at a high level. When you're only asked to play 40, 50 minutes, um, he's still at the point where he can play a high level 40, 50 minutes and really make an impact. And he really got under Oak Club's skin uh, a lot in that game uh, at the breakdown he, when things weren't going right for Glendale. Oak Club kind of had control of it in the meat of that, you know, the middle of that game. He was able to get under their skin a little bit. Um, but the guy who stole the show on the weekend, and if you followed Rugby Mag at all, checked in on any of the club stuff, it was apparent. Um, maybe people think I have a man crush on this guy, but Dewan <laughs> Reed played out of his skin. I mean, Dewan Reed in the semifinal, Dewan Reed literally put the team on his shoulders and just was phenomenal. And that's hard to do if you're a wing, but they were playing him in, you know, defensively as a fullback. So he got the ball quite a bit and he just played out of his skin against the Boston Irish Wolfhounds and made great plays, plays that nobody else that was there on the entire weekend could have made in their best day. Very athletic guy. This guy broke his jaw a year ago. You know, was out for quite a while. Didn't really have a chance to get looked at for anything. And, um, you know, a little reported by me, he he had an ankle monitor uh, and was not able to travel for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight in uh, in Chula Vista. He uh, had made some wrong decisions and, and ended up with an ankle monitor that had confined him to Colorado. Was not able to go to those. He said he was checking our site and checking every site he could and and trying to keep up with how they did out there. And he felt terrible about having to leave his teammate. And, and what a better ending for a guy like that to go out on as the MVP um, of the final. Um, just a phenomenal in the semifinal. I mean, the guy turned heads left and right, and he had a great weekend. Well, that's great. Good for him. And and as you said, the people were uh, were watching TV because on the other side of the country, there were in Philadelphia, they had the USA Sevens Collegiate Rugby Championship. USA Sevens, of course, is a company that is uh, owned by the same group of people that owns Rugby Magazine. And uh, this was the second version of the 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 college sevens. Uh, competition that was started and put on NBC last year. I guess the knock on last year was the crowds were not very large, and um, perhaps there was some thought that uh, the competition itself might might struggle to to have some staying power if the crowds weren't there. Uh, ten thousand people, over ten thousand people on Saturday, seventy five hundred or so on Sunday. Uh, very good atmosphere at a lovely park. PPL Park is the home of uh, the local Philadelphia Major League Soccer team. It's a very, very nice stadium. Real fold-down seats, not just a bench. There was a little gauzy little roof that goes up above everybody, so it rained for about five or five or ten minutes on, on Sunday, and nobody left their seats because they were sheltered, nicely shaded from the sun. Beautiful, beautiful field. And um, overall, I mean, and right on the... Uh, the mighty Delaware River, uh, absolutely beautiful, and the 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 rugby itself was much improved, uh, especially the men's teams. The men's teams were playing real sevens for the most part. A few of them weren't, but for the most part, they were playing very good sevens. The women's teams were coming up a little bit more new to it, so they're still getting into it. But uh, um, West Point did a great job. They won they won the women's final over Penn State, and they made the final of the men. But the the, the th- I think the thing everybody's talking about actually centered around the University of Utah. First of all, Utah opened up. They were the defending champions. They opened up against Dartmouth. I think most people would have picked, say, Dartmouth. And, and this is the, the, the review we gave for Dartmouth. Very skilled, very well coached. Alex Magleby is our coach, knows sevens in, in and out. Uh, they're obviously very smart. Maybe not athletic enough to really – get to the upper echelon in sevens. Utah, a little bit wild, but free and easy, play really exciting brand of rugby. Very good at sevens, but they were missing uh, they were missing Threaten Palamo. Um, and so maybe they were not going to be as good. Well, Dartmouth beats Utah to open up the, the tournament. And you start thinking, well, maybe, maybe Utah's not all that good. Utah then wins their next two, and then on Sunday morning, they they face Cal, who had gone three and zero on Saturday. They face Cal in the quarterfinals, 
and they absolutely just put them away, 21-5. It's not, it's not close. Don Patti breaks a tackle. He's in for a try. Uh, Lauti goes in, uh, uh, and, and he goes almost coast-to-coast, coast, making a great sidestep. He scores a try. It's 14 nothing, And then uh, they, they, the Cal has one, one, one movement where it looks like they're going to score, and there's a great defensive play that stops them. And then the first play of the, uh, the second half, Patti goes in again. Another great try. It's 21 nothing. And then they play great defense. They give up a try at the end, but really, actually, that try had, had had no bearing on the game because they missed the conversion and they still needed to score three times to get in there. And it absolutely shocked everyone. I, th- I, th- I think most people would be shocked if if they said, "Well, what were the scores?" That University of California at Berkeley did not make at least the top four and most likely the final. And a lot of people picked them to win, and they they went out in the quarterfinals. Um, and it was a huge shock, but. I would say it's probably not so much a shock if you think about the fact that two weeks before they'd been playing in the national final, they'd had two weeks of practice. The guys were very tired um, and moving back into them. I don't, I don't think they were really, they, I don't think they were really as dialed in as they could be had they had four or five weeks to train for it. Um, I will say that their head coach Jack Clark was extremely gracious in defeat uh, with the media. Which was uh, which was wonderful to see, and and he just uh, flat out said they got beat by a better team. And so in the end, what what you find out is that Dartmouth is a really good sevens team, and they've got a bunch of guys who have great skill, and they had uh, Tanner Scott and this guy named Nate Brakely who is just a monster. I was standing there interviewing Brakely, and I had my I, I kid you not, I had my recorder held up as high as I could and he still had to bend over to talk into it. <laughs> the guy's enormous. He's absolutely enormous. And they were they're great. And and here's the great thing about this. I think I think it was good for I think it was great TV I mean made for great TV just to talk about it. West Point, great students, good athletes. They're you know they they played as hard as they could. They did very, very well. Pip Hunley did an excellent job with them. But they, they were they were outmatched in the final, but still good for them. And, of course, with these guys and the guys who are graduating, they're going to go on and be officers in the United States Army. So, you know, that's a big story. And then you look at Dartmouth and the Dartmouth guys, when they weren't training for rugby, they were taking their finals. They were studying for finals. It was finals week when they were training for this competition. And, and Dartmouth, Dartmouth College is a pretty difficult school to do well in uh, academically. So – I mean, that, 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 it was just a true student-athlete moment. And their final against Army is one of the best sevens games I've ever seen a college team play because they completely shut down Army because they got the ball back. Every single time they kicked off, they went somehow got the ball back, pinned Army in. And, and if you want to – you go on Hulu.com and go watch this final. Or if you see it repeated on Universal Sports, go watch it because if you want to learn how to, how to play sevens – what Dartmouth did was they played on a 25-meter field, and they made Army play on a 75-meter field the entire game, and that's why they won 32-10. But more than that, guys, it was you – know, the important thing is it is coming back. Um, there was a press release re- distributed in the middle of, of Sunday saying we're coming back to PPL Park. It's going to be on NBC again, and I think that's that's great for the game, and I think that – um, it's not just a coronation for one team. For I mean, People expected Cal to win last year, and they expected Cal to win this year. And it's not just that. Somebody can come out from nowhere and win this thing. LSU was a very good sevens team and could – I don't know if they could have won it, but they, they won the challenger bracket. They won the plate. But they're a very good sevens team. Uh, Central Washington, you know I touted them. They finished fourth. Uh, they – they played Arizona, who had not given up a point all Saturday, and they beat them five to nothing. They came out of nowhere in terms of how people look at uh, at the top college names. It was really, really very gratifying to be part of it. I think it's the single greatest event we have in American rugby, and I've told that to you, Alex. I think it's phenomenal, and I, I'm just ecstatic beyond belief that NBC has picked it up. Um, I'm glad it's going to be back at PPL, and, and you'll get a chance of more continuity with – 
Yeah, Bruce, you weren't there because you 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 couldn't make it because of family stuff. But you gonna be there next time? Yeah, I'd love to be there. It, you know, yeah. Unfortunately, my my dad has been really sick, and yeah. and and you know we've we've been through this act before. He's like Morris the cat. He's got nine lives, but and and then he had his seventieth birthday. So I, when we pulled him out of the hospital on Friday, I I changed my plans and and went and. and we had a little family birthday thing, but we did watch we did watch it on TV. And since my grandfather, my dad's father, went to West Point, and he actually was a lacrosse player. Uh oh. Um, yeah, 1932 though. I think they 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 were still playing the Indians on ten mile fields, but um, you know that was. I, I thought it was a tremendous event. Uh, not going to go so far as to say it's the greatest event in American rugby, but it, you know, I, I totally understand where Pat's coming from, and 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 I, that CPD championship was pretty impressive to me as well. But you know, along the same lines, so this 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 is is a, is a big thing. It's an Olympic thing, and, and I thought that I thought that the the atmosphere and the event are great, and and. You know, is there going to come a time when we have a seven season and the fifteen season, and 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 when yes. is it best to have the seven season? When is it best to have the fifteen season? And can we move on from there? And and how are you know how are we going to deal with the USA Rugby? Is, is it even sensible for the collegiate teams to? deal with USA Rugby and Collegiate Sevens, is that going to be a brand and model in and of itself or are they going to try to interact with men's sevens? These are things that when you think about like how does uh, you know, h- how do we move this game forward and, and how do we get ourselves into a position to be medalists in the Pan Am games and well, ideally gold medalists there and 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 medalists in the Olympic Games, and, and I think we're you know we're quite a bit far off on that. But um, I, th- this was a tremendous event. The one thing that really, the only thing that disappointed me was the flip into the end zone and the flip yes. into the try zone, and not so much that it was. I, I understand, you know, the ESPN mentality of the, the Sports Center mentality of going through and I understand the excitement of doing it, but you can see that it was almost premeditated as he was going, he was almost thinking about, hey, am I going to do this? And he did it. Um, I, I find that to be not what we should be. It's just, I would have pulled. Yeah. So, back, so it's, pulled we're, 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 we're talking about uh, uh, Muhammad Abdul Shakur, who's a, 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 a wing uh, came on uh, late in the game in the final uh, for Dartmouth. The game was over. They, Dartmouth had won the game, um, and I, I can't remember if that was the last try or the second last try. And he went in the corner, uh, pretty much uh, uncontested, and did a flip, uh, a forward flip, landing on his back and, and touched the ball down. And um, you know, it got a, it got a big cheer. But I think I think everybody was pretty much excited about you know just having a great day. But um, yeah. I, I think that if that had been done in a partisan crowd where, where half the crowd was for the other team, I don't think it would have been um, received well. Well, I think the unique thing about sevens outside of 15s, and actually the unique thing about rugby in general, is that the fans do cheer good play generally either side. Um, even if you go to an international match and the visiting team makes a, what you would call a tremendous play, then you, they really look at it and they, and they give the cheer and the clap. They understand that it's not, it's not a booing thing. It's it rugby crowds tend to be pretty good about that. And I think it's just my feeling that if you are going to get into the try zone, act like you've been there before. And if you haven't been there before, act like you're, you're a prop. Act like you belong. <laughs> yeah. You yes. Know, act like you belong. How, 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 how many times have we been in the tri-zone collectively, the three of us? I, I don't know. It's probably less than 20. 
I sneak in there sometimes when I'm taking pictures. You, know? well, you, 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 guys have, you, you guys have one try? <laughs> maybe, no, hey, maybe one. I will, I will stand up for the, uh, maybe the younger generations here. Bruce, you're, you're too old school. I, your line of thought I understand, but the kids just having fun. Let them have fun. I think the more people see this kind of thing and, and the more fun, it, I think people can relate to it and the younger generation can relate to it. What the hell? The guy just did a flip into the tri zone. I think maybe a bit of an overreaction there. Yeah, you're right. That's all right. Well, you I'm know, um, merchant, an old curmudgeon, bald, fat, crippled, old curmudgeon. <laughs> the best kind of old curmudgeon to be. Uh, congratulations to Alex Bagleby. He did a great job coaching his team. Uh, he, he, and and congratulations to Dartmouth College and congratulations to West Point for winning the women's CRC and also making the final of the men's. And that was a as you mentioned, as you mentioned the West Point women. I do want to say, and you know, I, this happens all the time. And if there are any women listening, which I can't imagine there are, um, you know, forgive me for this, but I will say, uh, Kayla Orvik. She was the number eight for uh, Army in uh, in fifteens. I don't know what she played in sevens. I didn't watch the game. She's got quite the male uh, fan following out there. I think maybe she needs to organize some kind of uh, fan base, uh, set up a social networking site for those who love Kayla Orvik because there are, there are a lot of male guys out there cheering for her. Well, that's very interesting. We'll, we'll have to look into that. So, so we have some good things to say about the domestic game and some good things going on in the game. And what, what we'd like to do is talk about next time some good things that are going on internationally as well. USA national team has more than a week to get ready to play uh, uh, an international game, which I think has a lot of importance in terms of bolstering that self-belief, uh, gaining some momentum going into the warm-up games for the World Cup, and really uh, lighting uh, lighting a fire under this this road to the World Cup. Um, and we'd like to see something happen there. But the CRC was great, and some uh, congratulations to Glendale Raptors, Division One champions. And uh, we will be talking next week, probably touch on a little bit on on that the the Super League stuff and and uh, and some decisions going on there. And we'll probably be talking a little bit more about the Eagles. And uh, so, thank you very much, uh, Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton uh, from New York City and Kansas City. Thanks for uh, being on the show. And thanks to me because I'm sitting here talking still. I'm Alex Scott from RugbyMag.com. And thanks for listening to Rugga Matrix America. <laughs>